Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. My conversation with Daniel Handler, a.k.a. Lemony Snicket, is up there now. Great conversation. Hope you check that out. You can find it all at authormagazine.org. And we are funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. You can learn all about them at pnwa.org. So, yeah. Oh, listen, I finished recording uh, the audio version of Everyone Has What It Takes. Very, a lot of fun. Great experience. And I apparently it's available. You can buy it on audio already. I think probably pre-order. I, they said it was not going to be ready till the 14th. But it's there. If you want to order it, you can. I had a lot of fun doing it. I think it came out really well. And uh, based just on how it felt to read it. So go check it out. Everyone has what it takes read to you by yours truly. I hope you enjoy that. Well, we've got a nice one for you today. Just finished a conversation with Meredith Yeager. Meredith Yeager, she's a USA Today bestselling author of The Dressmaker's Dowry and Boardwalk Summer. And the recently released The Pilot's Daughter. She, ah, interesting woman. Had a great conversation about her her journey uh, to find her her genre, and uh, also the form that she uses, how she's sort of a modified plotter, not a pure pantser. Anyway, it was a great conversation, and uh, I'm happy to share it with you now. Enjoy. All right. Well, Meredith, Meredith, welcome to the show. Thank you. So yeah, so it's this uh, the pilot's daughter, book number three, book number three. Uh, but the dressmaker's dowry was your first published novel, which came out when twenty seventeen. Okay, but it was not the first story you ever put to pen. Which one of them was Angelina's whiskers? What was it called? <laughs> Are you listening to the other podcasts? I'm yes. going all the way back. You're going baby. all the way back. It was The Midnight Journey, and the character who went missing was Angelina Whiskers. The Midnight Journey, it was called. <laughs> I see. And how old were you? I think I was about seven years old. My mom keeps everything. She's great that way. Have you? Uh, have, when was the last time you saw that story? I, I saw it recently. I think she gave it to me. Now that you know we're homeowners, she's like, "Great, here's all your crap." So <laughs> I have boxes of like everything, you know. And um, I get it. I save all my daughter's art, but uh, so I, I saw it fairly recently. <laughs> this wow. funny little book. It was cute. So you were seven. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I was just actually I'm having fun with you, but I actually I'm always interested in the the journey we take from children who are all sort of, not all, but a lot naturally creative anyway, interested in the imagination for sure, because as kids, what else have we got practically, right? Um, to this world living as an adult who's inventing things, uh, what do you remember, if anything, about being a girl and your relationship to stories at that time? 
Oh my gosh. I mean, I loved them. I was so immersed in them. You know, my mom read me um, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. We oh, she read, read um, it to you. Yeah, she read nice. me that, you know, series. And then um, on my own, I was really obsessed with the Red Wall series yep. by Brian Jakes. You know it with mice and, with the mice. and badgers, yeah, yeah. all the warrior animals. Um, they all had M names. And I felt like I was destined to be uh, one of these warriors. They were, you know, Matthias and Madame Ayo. Then there was a, a girl named Marielle and I thought she was, you know, so awesome. So right. <laughs> yeah, did a lot of mouse stories. Um, but yeah, I was very imaginative. Um, you know, we, we grew up without cable, um, no video games allowed. So my wow. sister and I entertained ourselves by, um, you know, making up stories and doing a lot of illustration and, and art together. All right, so your sister older or younger? younger by four years she's a graphic designer now so um we both ended up with artistic professions yeah she's like a senior designer all right so you were drawn to it right away uh and so but you didn't as i understand it you didn't go you didn't go get your mfa from iowa you know iowa writers workshop and (laughs) you went sort of professionally yeah that's right. I mean, an MFA is a real privilege. It costs money and it takes time. And you are and it going guarantees to go, you nothing. You're going to go into debt. And I thought <laughs> I could go into debt or I could make money and try to figure yeah. out how to do this. So yeah. I have um, a few writer friends who also did the no MFA route. You do kind of feel like an outcast in the beginning, but it doesn't matter. Agents don't care. I don't know. You just I just want a story writers. with a hook. <laughs> this is one of the things I do is interview writers. And I actually think the majority don't do MFA. Yeah, I would say if I had to break it down, that yeah, half of them are lawyers initially. Oh, gosh, so, yeah, at least I never did law, it's true. Well, a number of them are lawyers. Okay, so you went to college, you know. I was it's just an interesting thing because the issue of money you look, if you're gonna get rich, you don't go into writing, you can get rich going into yeah. writing, but like that's not the goal, obviously. right? It's just unrealistic at first, certainly. So, money is a thing, like it's a it, as an adult, you've got to think about these things, and so you're going into college and did what did you think then like what was your what was your thinking at that point in your life I mean I wasn't really thinking about finances then you know I was pretty privileged in that I uh, realized I mean I no I did the modern literature major so I knew I loved to read I knew I loved to write um and then I ended up teaching English after that abroad like getting the TEFL certification right um and so I worked it was fun. No, it was a lot of fun. And then I worked in um, ESL for a long time. Um, so, I mean, I think that's one of the typical things you can do mm-hmm. with a literature major. Um, then yeah. shifted into working in tech and customer support because it, um, you know, had more money, better benefits. But um, uh, my passion was never there. I was always writing on the weekends. All right. So you were <laughs> so you were doing this. So you were finding work, but you're you weren't diving into some career in marketing or or sales or no entrepreneurship or anything right I always knew I wanted the career in writing and I remember very distinctly after college trying so hard to get a writing internship and I couldn't get one and I was really annoyed and then I ended up getting this tech support job and I thought I'm not even a technical person why and I have old diaries and I remember reading it and just thinking why this is so ironic but I mean that was the company that gave me the job so (laughs) that's what happened yeah so all the while you're writing on the side you're yes. you're, you're doing your writing and oh so you know you d- you described the red wall series and lion witch in the wardrobe uh that is not the sort of thing you're writing 
now when you got drawn to writing your own stuff uh, especially once you grew up a little bit were you drawn to these are historical uh ish i guess they're i don't know if you i mean right now they're history even 1940s that's yeah yeah for me to think but um you know historical ish in that they're still although this 20th century you're writing about a time that is quickly becoming unrecognizable to us in the 21st century. Gen Z says I'm from the late 1900s. Do you know how bizarre that sounds to my ears? Who said that to you? Gen Z. Like I'm a child of the 90s. Oh, oh, you're from the late. They don't call it the 90s. They say, oh, The Matrix was this movie from the late 1900s. Oh, stop. Bizarre. No, it's true. I know, I know. Uh, I've got, well, I've got (laughs) kids who are in their 20s and it's hard for me to think about my life growing up in the 80s right? yeah and what the 50s represented like yeah. oh my god that's not that. okay all right <laughs> we could spend all our time just bemoaning that so but you're writing were you drawn when in when you're writing stuff were you doing short stories or novels when you were writing on the side i was doing novels and i started off doing um contemporary so i mm-hmm. you know with the literature major um i started quote unquote, cheating on my syllabus with this like chiclet that I loved back then, Bridget Jones's Uh, diary, really fun books, Jennifer Weiner. And so I thought that's what I want to write. But I hadn't studied the market. And I didn't realize when I started writing this novel with the intent of publication in 2009, that it was a big paranormal craze. That's when Twilight was happening everything at the time was was vampires and paranormal paranormal romance remember it well yeah um and so when i was finally querying this um women's fiction the feedback i was getting from agents was like look this hasn't sold since the year 2000 (laughs) you're about a decade too late and um and then i you know stuck with it did another straight contemporary novel um where i got slightly closer to getting an agent but um yeah switching to historical I had started my my interests, my reading interests had become more varied. So I had read some dual narrative fiction where it had a modern day protagonist and then a mystery in the past and the two interwoven mm. stories. Yeah. And after reading that, I felt inspired and I thought, I want to try and do that. So that was when it pivoted for me. And that wasn't until 2013. Wow. Now that's interesting. Um, and so you had to strap up your research boots. Yep. And go learn about another time. What was, yep. how was that? Cause I did, I used to write fiction and I would put it back in the past, but I actually didn't like researching. I found yeah. it kind of tedious. So it was not a good fit for me. So what was it like for you doing that? I, f- I figured I had to choose a time period that I was excited about. I've always been yeah. drawn to Victorian San Francisco and that's um, yeah. where the dressmaker's dowry is set. And so I just was fascinated. Like I did love reading Dickens in school. Mm. I really like this idea of like, you know, the disparity, um, class disparity, um, economic disparity. And so I, I wanted to showcase that in the Bay Area, this sort of dark underbelly when San Francisco had the opium dens. Well, Bay Area, San Francisco, the one, I actually was researching a novel set in San Francisco in the 40s and 50s, 1840s oh, okay. and 50s. And that place was a muddy, yes. no no place. And I mean, the gold rush, but it was still, right. it was not what we think of today. Not at, at all. all right? Yeah. And so I think what inspired me back then was I was working for a tech startup. And anytime I went anywhere, all people were talking about was their angel investors and Series C funding and whether they saw Jack Dorsey at the pizza place. Right, and I'm like, God, right. this is so annoying. Yeah. Everyone who moved here as a transplant has absolutely no idea about the history of the city and that there are ships buried underneath the streets. Um, So I thought, yeah, I want to really show the generations of people who are here before 
and that there was a whole, you know, multiple stories of people before the tech boom. So yeah. um, I think, yeah, being in tech, working in tech and as a Bay Area native that really, um, you know, I'm like, uh-uh. I gotta, I gotta bring back the real essence of San Francisco. So you were raised in the Bay Area. <laughs> yep, born and raised in Berkeley, California. Oh, oh okay. So, you were, so this really is your home. This is yeah. Your, I suspected as much. You know, I interview so many writers, and I can tell, and it's never not for good or bad because I interview a lot of Seattle area writers where I live, and I always know the ones who are like, "Oh, you're writing about your hometown now." Yeah. I wrote about <laughs> Providence, where I was from. So nice. Same thing. So all right. So you, so you got some interest in that, and. Uh, you sit down, you start writing the, the dressmaker's dowry and what it like, did it feel any different when you started doing it or just thought, well, I'm gonna give this a try and see what happens. It did. did. So, yeah, I mean, craft wise, um, we say in the community, either you are a plotter or you're a pantser. All right, wait, wait, don't tell me, don't tell <laughs> okay, me. Okay. <laughs> Upon reading this book, I'm guessing plotter. Yes, but I didn't used to be. So Dressmaker's ah, Dowry was the I'm first so time <laughs> the first time I ever plotted a novel out. So I had, um, you know, finally decided to, you know, start reading some books on craft and I'd been working with a critique partner. So mm -hmm. I read a craft book by Martha Alderson called The Plot Whisperer, in which ah. she talks about the four energetic markers, the end of the beginning, you know, which is the inciting incident, <laughs> yeah. um, the midway uh, crisis and then the climax at the 75% mark. So this was the first time I um, actually got a big piece of poster board, um, some post-its yeah. and, and plotted out the energetic markers for both characters, the character yeah. in the past in the 1870s and the modern character. And then, um, you know, I didn't know how I would move between the points, but I knew what those markers were. Ah. And I think that made the difference for me. I'm in awe of writers who can who can still pants and write these right. phenomenal novels. I don't know how well, they do well, it. Well, let me, let me just say this <laughs> as a pantser myself, but I don't write novels anymore, so it doesn't really count. But um, <laughs> let me say to our listeners, there's no right way. What Meredith just described, I think if I were to take a poll, is probably the majority, which is like, they have a sense, you know, like here's six points. Here's an ending, I think. It's the rarer ones who are like, and I know some of them who plot out like every chapter, like they know what's going to happen before they start writing. But what you're doing is not that uncommon. I think a lot of, you know, but there are people, but what I was going to say is you got to do it the way you do it. Like you got to learn how you do it and then stick to it because there are people, as soon as they try to plot, it's over for them. Like they, they get confused and frustrated and they can't do it. And other people like yourself, you discover, oh, if I have that, that's enough, then I can go. So there is yeah. no there is no one way to do it at all. Not at all. It's whatever keeps your own creativity flowing. Yeah. For me, it's, you know, I write chronologically. So I'm looking yeah. forward to this big scene, this big dramatic scene, but I can't get there unless I actually, you know, do the hundred pages before. Right, and right. so it's, you know, I, I write and some people don't write chronologically. And like you I said, know. there's no wrong way. No, but for I, me, I always write in order and yeah. I, I want to get into the meat, into the drama. And so then it inspires me to um, try to keep each chapter interesting and up the stakes. I, I have a theory and, and I'm going to put it to you, but you can think of it what you want, which is that if contemporary women's fiction, young professional women, what we call chiclet in the in the mid early 2000s had really been your passion you'd have found an agent and a publisher for it like if that had been your thing you would have found your thing i i i posit that the reason this the, the dressmaker's dowry sold was you found a you found a means to write it like you found your approach to writing which was very important right you found your way you wanted to tell stories and i and you found a subject matter that that grabbed you in a different way it's so true and also right. i think it's so unfair 
as women that there's even a category called women's fiction because there's no men's fiction. You know men, why? Men you know why there's no men's fiction? Literary fiction. No, because they don't read it. <laughs> That's why there's no men's fiction. <laughs> no male readers. But um, not many. <laughs> I think um, yeah, it's interesting because um, you look at these different genres and it's like if you write literary fiction, it's less plot based and more um character based, yeah. and yeah. you get all these accolades for your sparkling yes. prose. So I think yeah. um, you know, I always aspire to get better to improve my craft. I would love to um, you know, I think we all lean trying to write literary, but then you see where you get pigeonholed in the market. Very few just, are. No, no, you know, no. not everyone can be Sally Rooney or. Well, whatever you know just tell your stories the way you, yeah. you want to tell them and you're making the world a better place don't you worry i know i i cannot stand the division i interview all kinds of writers and i have my own aesthetic you know and but it's just there's nothing better than a person telling the story the way he or she is meant the story she he or she is meant to tell in the way they are meant to tell like that is why you're on this planet not to be labeled literary or suspense or whatever Oh, it drives me crazy. It just undoes so many people like yourself whose stuff probably, probably won't get categorized. I don't know. Probably won't. It, it'll be somewhere people will be, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But, oh, but I think yeah. the good that's come out of that is, um, you know, self-publishing and um, indie publishing has allowed yeah. for more genres because it really is the market where, you know, agents and publishers, like it's a job for them, just like it's a job for us. Yeah. That they want to make sure that they can understand where to place it in the market. And if someone has something that's, you know, outside of those categories, it's going to be more of a gamble. Sure. Um, so it's, you know, I, I knew traditional is what I wanted to do, but there's nothing wrong with, you know, getting a bunch of rejections and thinking, you know what, I believe in this story. It doesn't oh, yeah. fit in, you know, a traditional category, but let's see if it can find a readership. And, you know, sometimes it does. And that's great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So you, so you wrote it up uh, and did you enjoy it? I mean, did it feel good writing it with both the subject matter and the, the structure you gave yourself? It did. So I actually started it on my honeymoon in Greece. I'd been working the super long hours at a wow. tech startup. And so this was the first time I had the, the time to even think creatively. So, um, you know, we on were on honeymoon. Yeah, we were on Mykonos and because of the jet lag. I would wake up super early and scribble and do all this research on the 1800s in this little notebook. So I'm thinking about, you know, gritty, dirty um, Victorian San Francisco, even though I'm looking out, you know, at the Aegean Sea. So it's just, um, you know, it wasn't people always said, I don't understand. Why didn't you write about Greece? But it wasn't that the landscape wasn't inspiring. It's just I finally had space to think, you know, I wasn't answering. What did your new hubby think of this? Did he say, what? No, he knew. He's. I mean, we've been together forever. Like we've been together right. a long time. And he knew. You know, we'd been together. I think six years already before we right. got married. So uh -huh. he had. He had seen me. You know, cry with all those agent rejections. You're He'd right. already seen me shelve those first two novels. So he wasn't surprised in the least that I was. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I just. I talked to Daniel Handler recently. Another San Franciscan. The guy who wrote Lemony Snicket, aka Lemony Snicket. And he, uh, on his honeymoon, was editing the manuscript for his first novel that would just <laughs> nice. come back from the public. Yeah. So maybe there's something to it. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, all right. So you're starting a new life. Well, kind of, but you're officially married. And, <laughs> yeah. and then you got this new book. And so you're working on it. And how hard was it relatively easy to find a publisher for it? Or was it was that? A no. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's always. <laughs> well, actually it was hard for me to find an agent. The publisher, I credit my phenomenal agent, Jenny Bent, 
for making it ah, not not hard fans. to find. Yeah, I love her. Oh, and I've been I with know, her now for go. you know five six years. So um, no, I credit Jenny with actually not having a hard time finding a publisher. But it took me you know six plus years to find an agent. And then the funny wow. thing is, I had I had queried it, Jenny with those women's fiction novels. Yeah, and I asked her if she remembered me, and she's like, oh, I get so many queries. No. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't no. remember. But um, no, when I sent her the dressmaker's dowry. She gave me a revise and resubmit and said, hey, I really see potential here, but would you be willing to up the stakes and up the ante in the modern story and make these changes? Um, and people get this a lot. It's up to the writer to decide if they sort of align with the agent's suggestions and are willing right. to do it. Even if you do it, it's not a guarantee they'll sign you. So that was an incredibly nervous point in my life, the five months sure. between sending the revisions to Jenny and then hearing crickets. And I was working at a different tech company and I just yeah. thought, you know, uh, this is probably just going to wow. be it, me and customer support for the rest of my life. And then I yeah. got that email that said, I want to sign you. And and then she sold it pretty quickly after she signed me. So yeah. it was a short journey to the publisher, but a long, long journey oh, to the boy, agent. Six years. Yeah. yeah. Man, I mean, usually, <laughs> I mean, I remember my days doing that and I mean, I'd stay with a book for a while, but usually I'd be on to the next one by long before. Were you writing another book in that meantime or just sending it out, sending it out? No, I had. I totally wrote another book in the meantime. That one ended up being my second book, Boardwalk Summer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I wrote Boardwalk Summer in 2014, I think after I'd put Dressmaker's Dowry aside in 2013. So yeah, sometimes you just start working on something yeah, else. Yeah, well, you kind of have yeah. to, I think, just to keep yourself sane. Yeah. Wow, so that's a long time. So, and and- how do you, what, how did you keep your spirits up? Oh uh, gosh. What did you do? How did you question. deal with that psychologically? <laughs> psychologically? Here, oh, here, let me say this to you. Let me say this to you. In other words, if you had to say this, if you were talking to someone at some coffee shop and yeah. she was like, Oh God, the rejections, it's been so long. Like, what would you say to her knowing now what you do? If you'd say anything. I'd say you have to recapture your joy and it's okay to take time off writing. I took a whole year off writing that year yeah. when I was at the startup, like I didn't write for an entire year because the rejections had hit too hard for too long and I just didn't feel good. Right. Um, and so, yeah, when I wanted to write on my honeymoon, that was, that was organic. That wasn't like, Oh, it's time to try again. I was like, Hey, I feel creative. I'm relaxed for the first time in 12 yeah. months after planning this wedding. And, yeah. you know, um, and so, yeah, I'd say, if someone's feeling discouraged, like that's okay. Ask yourself, would I still do this if no one paid me? Would yeah. I still do this if no one read yeah. it? And for me, the answer is yes, because it's cathartic for me. I enjoy it. It's fun. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of being a kid and having a big imagination where you get to just disappear into this um, alternate reality. And uh, that's why I still do it. Of course I want to sell, but um, you know, there's no guarantee. That's good. That is a good question to ask somebody because if the answer is no then you probably don't want to do it um i've known a couple of writers who have asked themselves that question and realized that the answer was yes that they did would do it anyway and sometimes that was the question that freed them up you know kind yeah. of said look at why am i doing i'm never going to stop you know anyway um all right so that was in 2013 you wrote that in, but it published in 2017 you said yep, yep. okay and so um so and now we are four years later. You got your third book out. Congrats! Thank you. And so, how do you feel now? You're now you're a professional novelist. Uh, I guess you, you can call yourself that if you have. Yeah. No, I mean it feels good. Like it's you know it feels really good. But then again, you know it's still 
modern times in the Bay Area with bills to pay. Like, um, you know, very few novelists hit the big bestseller lists with the amount of money where they can quit the day job. Um, so I have a side job where I write um, these funny mobile games for teenagers, like a choose your own adventure game. Yeah, 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 my name, yeah. my name's not on it, um, right. but it's, it's really fun. It's adapting story content and doing like the multiple branching storylines. Yeah, yeah. And sure. I write it in Google spreadsheets. So it's completely different, you know, and you have oh, to it's do like, like it's camera, really game design. It's game design. You have to do camera angles and um, expressions, all kinds of things. So, I mean, I'm grateful that um, I found something else creative, I like I lost my day job in 2020 because of the pandemic, right. um, along with the benefits, which was, well, oh. but, uh, <laughs> you know, was able to um, switch to this, you know, game writing, which I do on and off. So I feel fortunate I can do that. But I mean, full disclosure, my husband has a full time job and I, right. I would also have to have a full time job if he wasn't the one, you know, keeping sure. it more stable <laughs> over here. Right. So I just think it's important to be transparent because yeah. so many people think, oh, I'm going to quit my day job. I'm going to do this. And sometimes you can for a while but then you have to take your day job back and then yeah. you feel like, did I fail? But no, it's just, just how it is. I think the, also, I think with the, with the a writing career, it's so important to kind of see it as a snowball type thing. Cause you know, because the more books you sell, the more books you sell, you know, and, right. and nothing has to go out of print technically now because people can always buy on, you know, buy the digital yeah. versions. And I just think, you know, it builds and it builds. If you keep writing, it builds and it builds and it builds. You may look up at one day and say, Oh, I see. Yeah. You know, my back list is selling enough and I'm so that I can actually do. Yeah, this. So no, just... it, it feels good, you know, and it's like you have to mark those personal milestones. You know how Facebook will show those Facebook memories. Yeah. You're yes. like, oh, God, did I really say yeah. that? So yeah. it recently sent me one that was um, my husband brought home these beautiful shelves and I wrote. I will, I hope my books will fill these someday. Aha! And now to think, you know, we still have the shelves. I'm waiting for him to install them in our new house. Um, and I thought, you know, that that actually is a big personal milestone for me. I have three books. I can put them on that shelf. And like, that's not nothing. I no. am proud of that accomplishment. <laughs> I know, but you know, it's like, I, just the other day, my wife pointed to our bookshelf. She said, look at all your books. Look at them there. <laughs> See, look at, I was like, I know. I know. What about the next one? <laughs> right. And yeah, yeah. It's hard. It's like, it's such but a it's, competitive industry and yeah. people are so supportive. Like, I love my writing community. I'm sure you meet so many people. It's like oh, writers are more. the best people. Yeah. But then it is, um, you know, you feel like a strange mixture of, of, of jealousy and then happiness for someone it's 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 possible to want something to feel proud of your friend and then to wish it was you at the same time when you yes. see someone's book get adapted for television or adapted to film hey man, you, you know? know what you do you know what you do <laughs> i have a i know it's teacher she's really good and she says you think all right that's that'll be for me instead yeah. of being jealous of which i believe me and you know jealousy is just energy down the toilet right yeah. but it's like ah it's i do think it's a misinterpretation we see something we like we go oh yeah i'd like that and instead of thinking how can I get that? We just think, oh, they have it. I don't. Right. Boom. Because I think I have my theory of creativity and of life in general is it is not competitive, that the competition is a misinterpretation that we can, there's room for everybody. There's room for everybody's books and everybody's stories. There's billions of readers, literally. That yes. There's plenty. And I think that the competition idea screws with our mind. It's so true. What are we? It's because competing? we we live in this capitalist system. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> you know? right. It's like, oh, but I think yeah. it's, I think it's false. I think there's just creativity knows no like there there is no opposite of you. 
You know, yeah. you're unique. And that sounds cliche, but it's true. It is Meredith. True. It's absolutely true. Only I needed this story. pep talk. I appreciate this. Hey, you know what, Meredith? That's what I, that's the other thing I do is I give people pep talks. So I'm here for you, baby. Excellent. Don't you worry. So, all right. Well, you got to feel good. So you've, and now that this book came out November 2nd, the pilot's daughter came out 2nd of November. And so uh, what you've been doing? Uh, oh what, my gosh. How do you do it? Yeah, lot, lots of promotion. Wise. So promotion wise, um, you know, always connecting with bookstagrammers like the, the publisher does it to some extent. But yeah. I mean, over the years, you do forge personal relationships with booksellers and bookstagrammers. Yep. Um, it was important to me to support local indie bookstores. They all got hit so hard in Good the pandemic. Um, so, you know, there was a Berkeley bookstore, Pegasus, got to support the local Berkeley businesses. Good. 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 And, um, you know, with COVID, it's hard. Like uh, the publisher said, no no uh, in-person events. And I thought I'd wow. really like to celebrate. And so Pegasus said, hey, we won't host an in-store event, but we will do outdoor, you know, like a pop-up if you can find an yeah. outdoor venue. So yeah. I found a Mexican restaurant I love. We had a party in the beer garden, all outdoors. All the kids nice. came, you know, nice. I've never done like a, you know, my daughter's five now. So it was, it was different, but it was still fun. And, you know, my husband's an introverted guy and he said, that's the most fun I've had in a long time. Oh, so yeah. Nice. Um, Did you do so, some Zoom type things also? Oh, absolutely. So the Zoom, yeah. the one thing I love about Zoom is the ability to attend book launches of, you know, friends in New York. My yeah. friend, Sally, who's Australian, Sally oh. Hepworth, uh, she did a Zoom, she did the Zoom launch with me, which was so kind because she's, you know, promoting her book and she's like mega New York Times bestseller. Um, nice. Then my friend, Jillian Cantor, who writes beautiful historical fiction. I've never met her in real life, but she's one of wow. my writing internet friends. She's in Arizona yeah. and we uh -huh. did the other Zoom launch. So I, I loved both of those. It was really fun. And so did you do a Zoom launch for yourself? No, I didn't do one for myself. I think because I like the bookstore format. So you did the so, so you did the Mexican restaurant. That was your launch. That was my that was my in-person launch. Um the two in-conversation Zooms. I wanted to do in conversation because it makes it more interesting. I like yeah. reading to an audience, but I don't like reading to a Zoom audience. Yeah. I wanted fun. it to be more dynamic and fun than just you well, know. Listen, yeah. <laughs> I can tell you this book feels like a a, a book group book. I just yes. I can just see you zooming into some nice living rooms across the country <laughs> with some friendly men and women, mostly women, probably uh, talking about this book. So are you open to being a zooming author? For, oh, uh, definitely. Book, yeah, uh, I'm available clubs. for for Zoom book clubs. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, or Skype. I think I've done that in the past. I did that even before the pandemic. Um, and yeah, met a group of lovely ladies from Staten Island in the library yep. who yep. did um, the pilot, the, not the pilot's daughter, the dressmaker's dowry. Um, nice. So yeah, it's super fun connecting with readers. Good for you. All right. So now if people are interested in you, Meredith, which I'm sure they are, is it just, is it, I can't remember. I've visited your website, but where's the best place to learn all about you? Yeah. So the website is MeredithYeagerAuthor.com. And then on Instagram, I am Meredith Yeager author. Um, I have other platforms, but they're not fun anymore. So <laughs> come oh, find me on okay. Instagram. So you're, you've gone Instagram only. <laughs> I have like, I'll be on Twitter occasionally, but um, it's no, vicious it's, out there. It's too much. It is vicious out there. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want to be sent into a depressive spiral. So come find me on Instagram All instead. Right. Excellent. <laughs> okay. Well, Mary, this has been a lot of fun, but I got one more question for you. And what I want you to do is finish this sentence. If writing, all the writing you've done, all the way back to Angelina Whiskers, what was her story again? 
the midnight journey. I like that title. I've forgotten <laughs> it, but I like it. Thanks. All the writing you've done all the way back to the midnight journey has taught you anything. It's taught you what? I think got one word. Yeah, you don't have to do any. There's no, there's no. Oh, it's so hard. No. I, yeah, I mean, I guess, God, that's so hard. I keep thinking compassion. That's I think just good. the more you learn, you know, it's like when you read, you develop empathy, right? And when you research, you learn more about different time periods and different people and, you know, experiences outside of your own. So um, that's the point of reading. Readers are more empathetic, open-minded people. So um, yeah, self-compassion, or it's like you make mistakes, but you you move on and also compassion for others. Maybe that's cheesy. That's just no, 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 no. <laughs> Compassion is never cheesy. It's only the proper way to view every human being on yes. earth. So no, it's not <laughs> cheesy. Hey, Meredith, congrats on book number three, The Pilot's Daughter. It was so much fun talking to you. Good luck with it and all the books to come. Thank you so much. And thank you for your enthusiasm. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. Passion, baby. That's right. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. That's the goal. Yeah, it is. That was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, I liked her. I liked her a lot. Listen, uh, you know, I just, I love sharing this time with you guys. I uh, hope you like hanging out with me. I, uh, I look forward to, I'll be back again next week talking to somebody. <laughs> I can't remember. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's all good. I want to thank my producer, R.J. Jeffries. Thank you, R.J. And to all you wonderful writers and readers and people out there, go find something you love to do and do it. <laughs>